0: I entitled
1: this message this morning The Invisible Hand of God because that is the phrase that the Puritans often use to speak of God's providence. The providence of God refers to God's governance of the events and outcomes of life so that they accomplish God's purposes. The governance of God, they pictured as God's hand over and in the events of life. Let me give you an illustration. When my children were little, when we'd go to a very crowded place such as a fair, and we'd be engulfed with an awful lot of people, the children were very small and couldn't see over the top of other people's heads, and so they would just be wandering aimlessly in that crowd unless I watched over them and protected them. So what I would do is very lightly, very gently, I often would just put my hand on top of their head. And they'd walk in front of me, and i just kind of guide them, direct them as to where we're going so that we would get to our final destination, protected, and where we wanted to be. That's the, the picture of God's providence. God's hand reaching down and guiding the events, the circumstances, of our lives, leading us, protecting us, till we get to the destination of which God has in store, that his will is done. God has a hand in all the events and their outcomes so that he leads and protects his people to the desired destination for our lives. God was providentially watching over and protecting David by his invisible hand. Last week, we left off at 1 Samuel 23, verse 14. I draw your attention there. 1 Samuel 23:14, the last verse that we considered last week. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hand. Saul was seeking David every day, it states in verse 14. But notice that God was delivering on a daily basis. For it says at the end of verse 24, but God did not give him into his hand. The constant threat was being met with God's constant protection. On a daily basis, Saul is out to seek David's life. And yet, God does not deliver David into his hand. God's invisible hand of providence was so guiding the events of this world that God's protection and purposes were being achieved in David's life. What we want to focus upon this morning is the remarkably unremarkable way in which God is at work in the events in the life of David. I'd like you to remember that phrase. I'd like you to to take it with you. And think of it often. The remarkably unremarkable way in which God is at work in our lives. The remarkably unremarkable way. That is that God uses the ordinary events of our lives to accomplish his purpose, his ends. The narrative opens with David's awareness that Saul was seeking to kill him in verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. What we fail to see in some of the English Bibles is that verse 15 is directly related to the verse 14. In verse 15, there is the little word and missing in the English Bibles that is present in the Hebrew. That often happens Uh, I think the translators must think it gets to be redundant, that they leave out a lot of ands. But uh, the King James translates it well when it states in verse 15, and David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. David saw that Saul was out to get him, but what David was losing sight of was God's protection. The danger was real. That was easy to see. But the daily protection of God, that was more difficult to see, for God's hand is invisible. David saw the danger, but he was losing sight of God. How do we know that? Well, because of the word fear in verse 27. Look at verse, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 17. If you look at verse Uh, 17 of First Samuel chapter 23. This is Jonathan speaking. And he said to him, Do not fear. Do not fear. It appears that David was wrestling with the Lord's help. There are 14 different Hebrew words that are translated into English as the word fear. This particular word has a very specific connotation. It's the fear of inadequacy. It's the fear of weakness. It's the fear of giving help, of uh, the inability to keep on going, the fear that we are going to give up, the fear that we're not going to make it. It's not the fear of an adversary but rather the fear of letting go, of giving up, of despairing, of losing one's trust in God. He was beginning to doubt God's protection of him. He was finding it difficult to see God at work in his life. He was growing weary. Day after day after day, Saul is persecuting, chasing after David. And he doesn't see any change. He doesn't see any movement. He doesn't see an ultimate deliverance in the sense that it's over. It's complete. It's done. The victory's been accomplished. Oh, yes, he's not been handed into Saul's hand, but in the back of his mind, it's it's only a moment away. It's coming soon. He's getting closer and closer. And so he is despondent. Well, Jonathan is going to be used of God to strengthen David. Now, what David needed to see, and what we need to see, is the invisible hand of God. That God was indeed not giving David into the hand of Saul, and that God's invisible hand would continue to protect David. And that David needed to hold on to God tightly. The scripture states that Jonathan strengthened David's hand at the end of verse 16, and strengthen his hand in God. So what does that mean? Well, this is a, a wonderful word picture that is seen in both the ESV and the King James versions of the Bible. The NIV and the NAS simply translate this is that he was encouraged, him and God. Well, certainly that's the bottom line. That, that's what the gist is, that David is going to be encouraged in God But the word picture is is very helpful. He strengthened his hand in God. The picture is of, of David reaching out to God. And as David walks through life holding on to God, his hand is getting weaker and weaker. He's getting more tired and more tired. As the events and circumstances are compounding, David's getting weaker, and he's about ready to let let go. I don't know if I can hold on anymore. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make it. I'm tired. I'm fed up. And so David is holding on to God, and Jonathan is sent to strengthen that grip, to make it tighter, to make it more firm, to once again be strong in his relationship to God we sing a wonderful chorus that says uh, God will hold me fast. And that is a wonderful truth. For God's invisible hand will not let us go. But there's also a flip side to that coin, and that is that God holds on to us and we must hold on to him. Our faith, our trust, our confidence needs to be holding on to God and to hold on to God tightly. This morning, we want to see the providential way in which God strengthens David's hand. So the theme this morning is, providentially, God works in a remarkably unremarkable way to accomplish his purposes. That God uses the ordinary events in life to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. We are to learn that God is remarkably unremarkably at work in our lives. Hopefully, we will see the ordinary events of life in a different way this morning. So we begin by first looking at God works in a remarkably unremarkable way to strengthen David's hand by working through Jonathan. On the one hand, it was rather unremarkable that God would use Jonathan to strengthen David's hand. If you notice in verse 16, it says, and Jonathan's Saul's son rose and went to David at Horash and strengthened his hand in God. So, so God used Jonathan. It doesn't surprise us that Jonathan would go and encourage David. Jonathan was a good friend of David. In fact, Scripture tells us that he loved David. Jonathan was also a very godly individual. And so it's not unusual that God would use such a person as Jonathan to go and be a help to David. And yet, there is a remarkable element that God would use Jonathan it doesn't surprise us that Jonathan would go and encourage David, but it should. It should. Don't lose sight of the unusual nature of Jonathan's friendship to David. If You notice in verse 16, the text reminds us that Jonathan is Saul's son. If you look at verse 16, and Jonathan, and then the appositional phrase, Saul's son. This is not the first time that we've, been in, uh, in, uh, we've encountered Jonathan. We know very well who Jonathan is. So why does it identify Jonathan as Saul's son? Why does it tell us that? We all know that. We've been in chapters in which we're well aware of who Jonathan is. Well, it's so we don't lose sight of that fact. that We would still marvel at Jonathan's helping David. This is Saul's son that we are talking about. This is the son of the arch enemy. This is the son of the king. It's to point out the unexpected nature of the source of help. Who's going to help David. Well, the Caelites didn't last week, and they were delivered by David's hand. And yet they were going to turn him over. The Ziphites, later in this morning's message, they're not going to help David. In fact, they're going to turn him over to Saul. So where is David's help coming from? Lo and behold, from the son of Saul. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it that that is going to be the one that is going to aid David? Now, let me try to illustrate how remarkable that is, so we just don't lose sight of it. A number of reasons why that's remarkable. First, it's remarkable because Jonathan helps David in opposition to Jonathan's father. Remember Saul's response to Jonathan when he helped David on a previous occasion. It's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30. David, uh, Saul has been, uh, excuse me, Jonathan has been taking David's side. And in verse 30 of chapter 20, it says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and in the shame of your mother's nakedness? Don't you know that I realize you turned on me? You should be ashamed of yourself, he says. You need to get your act together. You would choose David over me. It's remarkable because Jonathan helps David to Jonathan's own detriment. Jonathan will not succeed his father to the throne. He's the son of the king. And by the customs of the time, the son of the king would become king upon the father's death. And Saul points that out to David Excuse me, to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 31. Saul says to Jonathan, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, so that he shall surely die. Jonathan, don't you know that you're working against your own interest? Don't you know that the kingdom is going to pass out of our hands? You will not be king. Your descendants won't be kings as long as David is alive. And yet, Jonathan helps David. And we find in our own passage in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 17, And he, that's Jonathan, said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. I will support you. I will help you. You will be the king. And I will be on your side. That's a remarkable sense of of humility. It's remarkable because Jonathan was risking his life to help David. And that's not an overstatement. That is not an exaggeration. Jonathan was risking his life in order to help David. Again, back to that passage that I've been referring to in 1 Samuel chapter 20. It says, Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he, referring to David, be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. When David excuse me, when Jonathan was defending David in Saul's presence, Saul got so angry that he picked up a spear and hurled it at Jonathan with the intent to kill him
0: That's how angry he was. He tried. Didn't threaten. He tried to kill Jonathan. Missed him.
1: Missed him by the providence of God. But missed him. But he tried. He tried. So Jonathan was risking his life in order to help David. Jonathan was willing, at great personal risk,
0: to befriend David.
1: If Saul thought Jonathan was betraying Saul before, how much more on this occasion? So a rather remarkable yet unremarkable way in which God is at work. Then there is the unremarkable way in which God worked by using Jonathan's words to strengthen David's hand. If you look at verse 16, and Jonathan's son Saul, excuse me, and Jonathan Saul's son rose and went to David at Horash and strengthened his hand in God. Now this is the way he did it. He said to him, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I will be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. Now, there's nothing extraordinary or miraculous here. There is no voice from heaven. David receives no vision of God. There is not even a sign that is performed by a prophet. It's simply the words of a friend that God is going to use to strengthen and encourage David. There is seemingly nothing remarkable in that. But furthermore, let me point out to you that there is nothing new in all that Jonathan says to David. He doesn't give David any new insight into the situation. All that Jonathan says, David already knows. It's already been disclosed to David in the past. There is nothing new here. He simply reminds him, again, of what he already knows. First, that David is not going to die at Saul's hands, verse 17. He said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Secondly, that David will eventually become king over Israel. You shall be king over Israel. David has known that for a long time. Samuel anointed him as king. He said, David, you're going to be king over Israel. That Jonathan will support David. He said, and I shall be next to you. That's not new. He'd already made a covenant with David to that effect, and we'd seen that in time past. That's not new. And he says, and none of this is hidden from Saul at the end of verse 17. Saul, my father, also knows this. Saul is aware of everything I'm telling you. And David
0: knows that. Nothing new here. Nothing new. And yet, no
1: vision, no sign, no miracle, a simple message of what he already knows, God is going to use to strengthen David's hand as he holds on to God. It is remarkable that David was strengthened, that these words had their desired effect The emphasis of the passage is that David indeed was strengthened, that his fear was overcome. If you look at verse 16, I'd like to point out something you that's very significant. Little words, and prepositions, play a big role in understanding the Scriptures. And if you look at verse 16, I'd like to point out to you what it does not say. Verse 16, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose, went to David at Horesh. And notice it does not say, to strengthen his hand.
0: It doesn't say that.
1: For the emphasis is not on what motivates Jonathan. Now, it just so happens in this circumstance that Jonathan's intent and God's purpose is one and the same. That doesn't always happen in life. In this instance, it was. But the emphasis is not on Jonathan's intent, but rather on the providential working of God and God's accomplishment. Jonathan went, and David was strengthened. And the reason that David was strengthened is because of God. Without God working, David would not have been strengthened. Without God working, that message would have meant nothing. Without God working, all would have been futile.
0: But his hand is strengthened. That's remarkable.
1: Because the words in and of themselves would fail because it is God who is at work. And you say, well, how do we know that? How do we know that? Well, look again at verse 16. And again, a very little, but essential word that starts verse 16 is the word and, the word and. And the word and connects 16 to 15 and 14 if you go back to verse 14 at the end of verse 14 it says but god did not give him into his hand that god was at work on a daily basis god was watching over god was protecting david there is nothing about how jonathan found out where david was there was nothing about what was the impetus what at that moment cause Jonathan rise up and go to David. How did he know? What was the mindset of David? Answer is the providence of God. God led Jonathan to David. David spoke, God used those words. Even though there was nothing new. Nothing life shattering. But God used it. God reached down and touched the heart and mind of David and strengthened him God used the ordinary
0: means in life to strengthen his hand lesson
1: God uses the ordinary events in our lives to Encourage us in our faith. God uses godly friends. God uses his words. And don't lose sight of God's goodness and blessing when he reaches down to you through friends and through his word and does, in fact, strengthen you. If you come to church and you hear a message and are helped, you have met with God. God has reached into your heart. For there are many who come who are not helped. There are many who go away in unbelief. It's not because a person hears. It's because of the sovereign working
0: of God.
1: Don't lose sight of a God who's holding on to you. Don't lose sight of a God who's working in your heart. You are blessed. God is keeping you and uses the ordinary circumstances of His Word. No vision,
0: no sign, just His Word. And oftentimes, what we already know. And yet we go away, strengthened, and our hold of God
1: is more firm. Secondly, God's remarkably unremarkable deliverance of David from Saul's pursuit once again. We begin by looking at the unremarkable way in which David is delivered. Let's uh, read through the narrative. I'm going to be making just comments as we go through to lead us uh, to the end, and it's, no profound thoughts here. I'm just helping you understand the story. It begins with the Ziphites betraying David in verse 19. Jonathan and David have now parted. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David holding, hiding among us in the strongholds at Horash on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jerusalem, a uh, Jeshimah? So the Ziphites encourage Saul to do what he wants with David. Verse 20. Now come down, O king. According to all your heart is desire to come down. Come down and grab hold of David. So the Ziphites will deliver David to Saul. End of verse 20. And our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. That's what we're going to do. That's our role. We'll make sure that David is turned over to you. Saul's response. Well, of course Saul is pleased. In verse 21, Saul said, "May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me." Saul then instructs them to make sure that they actually know where David is. Verse 22, "Go make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there, for it has told me that he is very cunning." I love that. It's been told me that he's very cunning. Saul knows very well that that David is exceedingly cunning. He says, be sure you got your facts straight when you come back to me. So they go and uh, check things out. And uh, they report back. Verse 23. See therefore and take note of all the working places where he hides and come back to me with your information. Then I will go with you, and in the land I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Saul then speaks of the relentless nature of the pursuit that he will make of David. Verse 23, see therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information, then I'll go with you. And if he is in the land, now this, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. All right? You just tell me where he is and I'll do the rest. I don't care if there are thousands of people that I have to work through. I'm going to grab that guy. I'm going to capture him. You just tell me where he is. And I'll get a hold of them, and nothing's going to stop me. So Saul chases after David. And the chase scene develops. And there's a suspense that we are to have as this chasing develops. The Ziphites serve as scouts, verse 24. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul, now, David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arba on the south of Jeshimon. They're in a the wilderness. They're in an uninhabited area. They're in a place where they're not going to be betrayed, that nobody's going to turn them over like the Caelites wanted to. So they're out in the middle of the wilderness. Saul and his men enter into the search for David, verse 25, and Saul and his men went to seek him. However, David is informed about what Saul is doing. Verse 25, Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So David knew that Saul is out on his heels. So David flees to an uninhabited area. Verse 25, Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told so, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon.
0: A difficult place, geographically.
1: Make it a little more challenging for Saul to get a hold of him. A place of better protection. However, Saul is not deterred and keeps coming after David. Verse 25. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon, and now this. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. He's not going to let a little thing like that get in his way, simply because David is held up in a difficult location, just because it's going to be some work to get there. Oh, no, Saul is still hot on his trail. It's going to mean nothing or David's hideout, and Saul gets closer and closer to David. Verse 26, Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So picture it. They're now on a mountain. David on one side, and Saul on the other side. However, that doesn't keep the situation very long for saul is going to divide his troops and go around both sides of the mountain and entrap david verse 7 david is trying to get away as fast as he can saul went on one side of the mountain david and his men on the other side of the mountain and david was hurrying to get away from saul however saul had david surrounded At the end of verse 26, as Saul and his men were closing in on David, they were getting closer and closer to David. David had nowhere to go. David was hemmed in. They are
0: ready to pounce. What happens? David escapes.
1: Because the Philistines are going to attack Israel. Verse 27. A message came to Saul right at that moment. They're they're ready to pounce. A message came to Saul saying, hurry and come down, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. So, no one would forget. It was going to go down in the histories, the annals of Israel, like the Alamo, the Rock of Escape,
0: the place where David was almost grabbed and he escaped. And he escaped. We might think wow. Wasn't David a lucky guy? Isn't that amazing? What a relief. He escapes. The unremarkable nature of a rather usual way of deliverance I'd like to point out to you that God did not perform a miracle to deliver David. There are many
1: miracles in the Bible that bring about people's deliverance. One such one is the Israelites, if you remember, when they're fleeing from Egypt and they are being pursued by Pharaoh's army and they're getting close Close to the Red Sea, and the army's right on their tail, and they are ready to capture the Israelites. God puts a cloud between the army
0: and the Israelites. That cloud was His presence, and they never laid hold upon the Israelites. There's no cloud here. There is no
1: miracle that is performed. God used somewhat ordinary events in the course of life to deliver David. It was simply a message that the Philistines were raiding Israel. Ordinary course of events, nothing unusual about that. It was not unusual for the Philistines to make a raid against the Israelites We saw that last week. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah. That was an Israelite. And were robbing them on the threshing floors. And David went to help them. Nothing unusual about the Philistines attacking. In fact, you know, God's name is not even
0: mentioned in providing the deliverance here. Nothing about what God has done. However, we know from verse 14 that it's God who's bringing about this deliverance. Of course, we can't miss it. Or can we? Or can we? And we just read this account and simply say, wow. How lucky David is? Or can we sit
1: back and stand in amazement of the sovereignty of God and his providential working in the events and circumstances of life, that he would use a wicked people like the Philistines to be an instrument of delivering David? doesn't surprise us that God would use Jonathan. Ah, but would God use the Philistines? Yes. Yes, and he did.
0: It doesn't surprise us that
1: the Israelites would send for Saul for help in delivering them from the Philistines. But it should surprise us that Saul is willing to help them. There is a tremendous irony here in Saul's departure and chasing after the Philistines. Notice verse 28, so Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. The irony of Saul stopping this pursuit of David in order to fight the Philistines is incredible. First. Remember just last week that Saul was indifferent to the Philistines when they were fighting against the people of Calah. They had heard that the Philistines were raiding against Calah, an Israelite city. Saul does nothing. Saul's indifferent. Saul doesn't care. But David goes and delivers those people. Remember, that Saul was willing to go and fight against his own people at Calah. He threatened them. He said, if you don't hand over David, I will destroy you. Here is Saul, the one who is willing to destroy cities in Israel in order to capture David, stops facing David in order to go to deliver a city in Israel.
0: Remember that Saul says he will stop at nothing to get David.
1: He says, if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. I will do whatever it takes Nothing will stop me, Saul says. Finally, finally, there is David. Finally, they're closing in. Finally, they're ready to capture him. And this message comes, and he stops.
0: He stops dead in his tracks and leaves. Verse 28.
1: So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. There, that place is called the Rock of Escape.
0: There's God's hand. There's God at work. So close. And Saul turns around. And goes to deliver a city that before he cared nothing about. That's the Lord's goodness. That's the amazing providence and hand of God. So, in conclusion, in conclusion,
1: can you see God at work in David's life? Can you see how God orchestrated the events, bringing people into his life, such as Jonathan, protecting David from Saul on a daily basis? He is to be praised. He is to receive glory. But the takeaway from us this morning is, can you see God at work in the course of events to come into your own life. Are you able to see an invisible hand of providence that's guiding in direction?
0: Are you careful not to just
1: chalk up to coincidence or luck or good fortune? The many blessings that we receive on a daily basis? The ordinary course of events The fact that we have a job is God's provision for us of our daily bread. The fact that we go on a church on a regular basis is God's provision for us to hear his word and to be strengthened and to be helped. God works through the ordinary circumstances of life, That's how God primarily works. That's how He usually works. That's what we can expect in our lives. The miracles, the voices, the signs are a rarity. Our God can do that. He can perform the miracles, He can perform the signs. But even more than that, he can control the everyday circumstances of our lives. He can take our enemies
0: and turn them on a dime.
1: Change their hearts, their attitudes. So once Saul was not ready to help his own countrymen, now is ready to help, when before would say, nothing is gonna stop him, now stops. That's the hand of God. That's God at work, and that's how God does work. God's invisible hand is leading you every single day. God's invisible hand is watching over you. God is protecting you. God does not slumber nor sleep. You need to fear no evil. God is at work in your life constantly. Constantly. But it's an invisible hand. It's an invisible hand. You can't see
0: it. You can't see the hand. But with an eye of faith, you can see the events. You can understand the outcomes. And you can give glory to God. Not
1: Jonathan. Not the Philistines. Not Saul. This was God at work. God strengthened David. So, be strengthened. Hold on. Hold on to God. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't give up. Don't disparage. Don't say, My circumstances haven't changed. Don't say, Everything is just going on as usual. Don't give up. Because God is at work, God is achieving His purposes,
0: God is bringing an end. This
1: isn't the end of Saul pursuing David. We'll see event after event. It doesn't mean that from now on, David just sits back and relaxes. But it does mean that once again, God has been faithful. Once again, God has delivered.
0: Once again, God has kept his promises. With the wonderful difference... From
1: now on, in David's attitude. David's going to really become mighty in the next series of events because his hand has been strengthened. He's holding tight. His doubts have gone. See the goodness of God and his invisible hand at work in the people that God brings into your life that he uses to help you spiritually don't take it for granted thank god for that individual that friend that person who ministers to you that's god's grace see the goodness of god in his visible hand at work when god brings you comfort and strength from his word if you are helped By his word. If you are encouraged this morning, it's because of God. God has today reached into your heart. And God has strengthened you because his word apart from his spirit
0: will profit nothing. But his
1: word, applied by his spirit, achieves his purpose and his end. See God's
0: work in the ordinary events and circumstances of life. All that you face, God
1: is at work. We know that all things work together for good. For them that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Nothing new, but may we all be strengthened. Let's pray. Almighty God, we commit ourselves to you anew and afresh today, thanking you for your invisible hand of providence, that leads and directs in the ordinary circumstances of our lives to bring about your purposes to accomplish your ends. Oh Lord, strengthen us if we are weary. Strengthen us if we are tired. Strengthen us if we are finding it difficult to hold on. Lord, I thank you that you're always holding on to us. Your hand is always upon us, and you will not allow us to ultimately fall. Oh, Lord, help us to see your hand. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen.